Are you looking for something different to entertain your kids? Check out a new podcast for children. Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, is a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. Math is geared towards kids six and up, but can be enjoyed by the entire family. I love how the episodes are under 20 minutes, which was perfect for our drive to school. And my four-year-old really loved the episode, The Pirate Queen. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras' ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and so much more. New episodes drop every Thursday, and I love how engaging, funny, and educational the episodes are. Your kids won't even realize they're learning about math and problem solving. My son even said he wanted to finish the episode on our drive home from school. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to this week's episode where I welcome Whitney, who is a registered dietitian and mom and one of the founders of Plant Based Juniors and co-author of the new book, The Plant-Based Baby and Toddler. And she's joining me today to talk all about plant-based nutrition for our children. Thank you so much for joining me, Whitney. Thank you so much for having me, Mona. It's a pleasure to chat with you today. Well, I'm so excited about this because even as a pediatrician, I don't know nearly as much as I would want to know about plant-based nutrition. And I just think it's such an important resource to have your education and expertise. Why did you start Plant-Based Juniors? Yeah, so Plant-Based Juniors is really the community that my partner Alex and I were looking for when when we first became pregnant and, and thought about raising kids. Um, even as dietitians, you know, we didn't learn that much about children's nutrition, one, but definitely not much about pediatric plant-based nutrition in our programs. So we were kind of learning it all on the go on our own, doing the research as new moms or before we became moms. And what we were finding was there really wasn't one kind of one-stop shop that had accessible, credible, evidence-based nutrition information on how to raise plant-based kids. Really, when we started doing this, the only nutrition book um, that kind of addressed pregnancy, for example, plant-based pregnancy, was written 10 years ago by a dietitian. And some of the information was already outdated. So Alex and I, we had actually met about 10 years prior at at a conference and stayed in touch over the years. And it was when I was pregnant and Alex had her her newborn son, Vander, that we started getting to talking and we were like, what are you doing about this? Have you heard this information? Um, because it's one thing to follow a plant-based diet on your own and feel really confident about that, which Alex and I had been doing. But when you have a life in your hands, someone else's life, you know, you start questioning things a lot more. And and so we started swapping information back and forth. And we, and we really realized that if we were having this much trouble tracking down um, factual information on how to do this, then the average parent out there was probably left empty-handed a lot of the time and often having to turn to non-evidence-based information or influencers online to get information on how to raise their kids. So um, we realized there was really a gap in the market and we said, we need to put this information out there. And that's how Plant Based Juniors was born. 
That's great. And thank you so much for doing this. Um, I just think that there, again, needs to be more education about this. I myself am not fully plant-based, but I do find the value in it. And we, we live a 70% plant-based life. Um, so it, for me, it's important that I understand for my own awareness, but also just for my patients too, like I mentioned, this resource that you all are providing. What do you think is the biggest misconception about plant-based diets for babies, toddlers, children um, that you've come across? Well, there's just so many misconceptions out there. Uh, before I share that, I just want to say Alex and I are also not fully plant-based. We consider ourselves predominantly plant-based. So, you know, the amount of, uh, of animal products that's in our diet varies probably on a, on a weekly basis. We're probably about 90 to 95% plant-based or vegan, if you want to call it, but we do allow for some flexibility in the diet. And that's really the message that we want to put out there to all families is that you don't have to be plant exclusive in order to reap the massive benefits of a predominantly plant-based diet. We really want to provide, be, be an all-inclusive community where anyone who's interested in eating plant-based, whether it's vegan, vegetarian, flexitarian, can come and get this evidence-based information. Because really in order to make a dent in the growing global chronic disease crisis that's going on and the, and the climate crisis, we need everyone to reduce meat and animal products in their diet. And we think by, by putting forth a, a really welcoming uh, message and showing people that it's not black and white, that we can get more people on board with this mission. Oh, I agree completely. Yeah. So, but to, to answer your question about the biggest misconception. Yeah. So we, we hear so many misconceptions and we are very quick to try to help clear those up because we want to get more people in the door, get more people eating plant-based. But I think the number one thing that we hear is that a plant-based diet is unsafe or that kids will have nutrient deficiencies if they eat this way. And the fact is the majority of major health organizations uh, disagree with this. The, ma the majority of major health organizations agree that a plant-based diet is not only safe, but likely um, has many health benefits. And this is for all stages of the life cycle from pregnancy, infancy, breastfeeding, um, childhood, and, and through older adulthood. The one caveat here is that the majority of them, specifically the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, includes the language appropriately planned appropriately planned diets are safe. Um, and, and the point there is that any diet, whether it's plant-based, paleo, standard Western diet, any diet can be unsafe if it's not appropriately planned. So again, this is really why we started Plant-Based Juniors. We wanted to be a resource to parents to make sure that they're appropriately planning their children's diets and making sure that all nutrient needs are met. And as a pediatrician, like I mentioned, I feel like I can be better educated about all of this information. Do you find that a lot of your clients come to you with concerns about their pediatricians not being supportive about plant-based diets? Do you think that they are and they just don't have enough information? What are your thoughts about pediatricians and what they know about plant-based nutrition? Well, I do think the tide is turning and that a lot of medical professionals are becoming more open to plant-based nutrition, especially as more of these health organizations are coming out and saying that that they're safe and, you know, supporting this overall shift towards more plant predominant diets. We very frequently hear from our followers that they get pushback from their pediatricians. Uh, we actually wrote a, a whole, I think it's a blog post or it might be in our email newsletter, a, a point by point fact sheet on how you can combat some things that your pediatrician might say to you. Um, 
even my own pediatrician, for example, questioned my plant-based diet several times with my son. And I talk about this in, in our upcoming book. She was asking about iron and whether or not I would provide eggs in my son's diet so he could get some iron. Um, little did she know that eggs actually also contain a compound called phosphatin, which inhibits iron absorption. So while, while we do hear that pediatricians are, are somewhat open to it, a lot of them just don't have the proper education on, on it to address myths maybe that their clients bring up, but also myths that they hear from other professionals and, and therefore aren't very prepared to educate their clients on how to properly administer the diet. And through this conversation, we'll be going over some of the common questions that I get asked as a pediatrician, but also that I get asked through my social media account. Um, and so we'll start kind of from the beginning. So if we have a mom who is choosing not to breastfeed or can't breastfeed and chooses a formula route, is there a formula that's recommended for plant-based families if they're not breastfeeding? Sure. So there aren't a lot of plant-based formula options on the market. And we don't like to point out any specific brands because what you pick is going to depend on so many different factors, including financial reasons, accessibility, et cetera. But um, the main option for plant-based families is going to be a soy-based formula. And we like to educate people because there are so many uh, myths and fears around soy is that number one, soy itself is, is perfectly safe for growing kids. We have um, decades of research supporting this and even some research showing that soy foods can be beneficial, uh, particularly for young girls. There's some research showing that women who start eating soy early in life have a reduced risk of breast cancer later in life, um, the earlier they start their soy consumption. Um, but if we're talking specifically about soy formula, there's also a large, large body of research showing that kids who, who consume soy formula have the same growth and, and reproductive functioning as kids that are fed cow's milk formula. So it's an absolutely safe, adequate option for plant-based kids. I will say, however, that uh, there is not a fully vegan option on mm -hmm. the market, I don't believe. I think the soy formulas that are out there typically use um, uh, alanolin, which is sheep skin derived form of vitamin D, uh, but they are still going to be your closest plant-based option. Uh, one more thing that's important to mention about the soy formula is that it is uh, not recommended by the AAP for premature babies or those with congenital hypothyroidism. But for all other babies, it's a, a perfectly safe option. Really great. Thank you so much. That is a common one I get. And then the other common one has to do with if we are transitioning a child to cow's milk, but we want a plant-based alternative. Nutritionally speaking, um, we know that there are many different options. I also know that so many pediatricians or so many people, I shouldn't just, just say pediatricians, um, think that almond milk is superior when we know nutritionally <laughs> it may not be as equivalent. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess meals. Chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno, lime cheddar chicken, and mushroom 
chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with Factor meals because they're ready in two minutes, no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious Factor meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 and use code peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code peedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with non-toxic medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, diaper rashes, and other types of skin damage. I discovered Active Skin Repair and their baby spray from my community when our daughter was a newborn and had constant diaper rashes, and it really helped and continues to help. Containing hypochlorous acid, which is an effective option for helping with yeast diaper rashes, we just spray or dab active skin repair onto the skin with a clean cloth or cotton ball let's sit for 15 seconds and then apply our balm or ointment of choice with over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order using code PEDSDOC that's p-e-d-s-d-o-c what are the best plant-based alternatives looking at it from a nutritional equivalent to what we are getting from cow's milk lens? Yeah. Yeah. This is such a big myth that we hear. I actually ended up doing like a two-part 30-minute IGTV series on this once on our, <laughs> our plant-based juniors uh, a page because we got so much pushback for sharing our option. And all these people started jumping in saying like, I make homemade almond milk and it's great. And here's mm -hmm. why. Here's the thing. Almond milk is essentially, um, especially if you're buying it from the store, a very expensive flavored water. There yeah. is not a lot of nutrients in, in almond milk. And if we're talking especially about young toddlers who have small stomachs, who fill up very quickly, we want to get the most bang for our buck in everything that they put in their mouth. Um, so we really want to be giving them the most nutrient-dense uh, beverages specifically as possible. The only appropriate beverage uh, for children, we believe, in the toddler years, especially as a replacement for cow's milk, would be fortified, unsweetened pea or soy milk. Mm -hmm. And this is because they have the most similar nutritional profile to cow's milk. Cow's milk is really high in protein. It's high in fat. We're talking about whole cow's milk, by the way. Um, before the age of two, whole cow's milk is, is what's recommended versus a low-fat option. Um, and a fortified option is also going to provide you with some of those critical nutrients for, for children, including calcium uh, and vitamin D. And the rest of the milks on the market are typically too low in protein or fat. And if they're not fortified, they're not getting in that calcium. Yeah, I think this is really important because if you're not giving your child cow's milk, you don't have to even give a lot of cow's milk at all. I think there's a misconception that you, your child needs to have this. But if you're not giving it, you need to know, well, what are the alternatives that nutritionally are closest to cow's milk? Um, there is a lot of misconception, I think, amongst feeding and milk that your child needs a minimum amount. There's usually a maximum amount of all of these things. But if your child is eating well, doing yogurts or doing other foods, you don't necessarily need cow's milk, need the plant-based alternatives. This is just the options that you have. So um, true. So I'm happy that you clarified that because I think that's a common misconception I hear yeah, too. Yeah, same. Um, yeah. 
I mean, the main things that we want to derive from cow's milk or a plant-based milk alternative are really that protein, fat, and really calcium. Um, dairy is really the main source of calcium in most kids' diets. And that's one of the reasons that we do recommend a plant-based uh, fortified milk alternative. But if your kid doesn't like it, there are other ways that you could get it in as well. You know, again, you're probably going to need some sort of calcium supplement because although calcium is very rich in plants, most kids are not willing to eat enough, like three cups of broccoli or beans or whatever it is in order to get that calcium, the same as maybe a plant-based adult would. And speaking about, you know, protein, fat, calcium, are there any vitamins, nutrients, et cetera, that may be lacking in a plant-based diet? You know, is there something that um, kind of going into that second part of that question would be, are there certain supplements that a child needs to take if they're on a plant-based diet or can they get it through different plant-based foods? Yeah. So the first thing I'll say is the one, the one nutrient you don't need to worry about is protein. Uh, mm. We very, very, very rarely see protein malnutrition here in uh, developed countries. Um, protein is widespread in a plant-based diet. And research really shows that all kids, including plant-based kids, get way more protein than they need. I think one study showed that plant-based kids get about double what they need and omnivorous kids get about triple the protein that they need. Um, and while protein is such an essential nutrient for growth, getting too much protein can actually be too much of a good thing. So there is some research showing that uh, kids having an excessive amount of protein are at a higher rate of overweight and obesity. So we really just want to give kids an adequate amount of protein, the amount of protein that they normally eat versus um, trying to stress it. Uh, like, like so often we hear, I think, in our fitness-obsessed protein-pushing culture lately. But yeah, protein is found in, in everything. So Alex and I actually created a resource called the PB3 Plate, which is a visual guide to meal planning for parents. And this really breaks down the major nutrients um, except we don't we don't refer to all of them as nutrients. We, we actually broke them down into food groups to show parents where specific nutrients are found on the plate and how to easily serve them. So the three major categories are legumes, nuts, and seeds, fruits and vegetables, and grains and starches. And then we've got fat right in the middle. Uh, and then within those categories, we break down certain micronutrients that are found in each of those major categories. And by trying to hit all three at each meal, you're likely to cover all of your kids' nutrient needs. So some of the nutrients that um, can can be met in a plant-based diet, but that you want to be cognizant of are things like choline, which is a B-like vitamin that's really important for brain development. And it's found widespread in different plant foods, but the best sources are soy foods. And so those would be found in legumes, nuts, and seeds category. We've got calcium, which I mentioned before is found in a wide variety of plant foods, um, but typically it's found in plant foods that aren't always the most accepted by kids, which is, again, why we really do recommend including a fortified plant milk alternative. If your kid doesn't like plant milk, as I said before, we've got other tips and hacks for getting um, some calcium in. You could add some uh, food grade calcium carbonate powder to yogurt and stir that in, serve it to kids. Um, so there's lots of different ways to meet calcium needs. Vitamin A is another really important nutrient for kids for immune health and retinal health. And this one is also very widespread in the diet in the form of plant-based phytochemicals known as carotenes. So there's two forms of vitamin A. There's carotenes, which are precursors to vitamin A. And then you've got uh, 
preformed vitamin A, which is retinol, and that's mainly found in animal products. And the vitamin A is found in all kinds of fruits and vegetables, all of the brightly colored. So we're thinking of things that are red and orange, like like bell peppers, like sweet potatoes, like carrots. Uh, and the, the sources of food that they're rich in you only need a little bit. So you actually only need about a fourth cup of sweet potatoes to meet your child's entire um, vitamin A needs for the day. But it's just something to be cognizant of, especially with kids who can be a little bit pickier about fruits and vegetables. Iron is another nutrient that is so important for uh, not just plant-based kids, obviously all kids. I think iron is probably the most essential nutrient when kids start eating around six months of age, and that's because breast milk is very low in iron. So when kids begin complementary feeding at about six months, iron is the major nutrient we want to prioritize. The good news is that iron is also very widespread in a plant-based diet. Many studies estimate that plant-based dieters actually consume more iron than um, omnivores. It's just that the iron that's found in plant-based sources is a little less bioavailable, meaning it's a little bit harder to absorb. But that can easily be overcome by pairing iron-rich plant foods with a form of vitamin C. And so again, on our PB3 plate, we show you how iron is found in all of the three major categories. And then we call out vitamin C in the fruits and vegetables category to let you know that um, it's a good idea to get them both on your plate. I also want to mention here, you can download that for free on our website. Then there's a few nutrients that are important for all children as well that tend to be lacking in a plant-based diet. And these are the ones that you'll probably for some, definitely for others, will want to supplement. The first one is B12. All plant-based dieters, whether you're vegan or vegetarian or just have a very reduced consumption of animal products, should take a B12 supplement. And that's because B12 is only found in reliable amounts of animal foods. A lot of plant-based uh, foods on the market now do fortify with B12, but because the amounts are so variable and fortification processes can change, the safest option is just to offer a B12 supplement. So that's kind of a non-negotiable, especially because it is, is critical for baby's brain development. The second one is vitamin D. And if you're breastfeeding from the start, uh, you'll be providing vitamin D anyway. Breast milk is very low in vitamin D. And this is an evolutionary reasoning because historically we were out in the sun kind of running around half naked. And the sun actually is what helps us generate vitamin D in our own tissues. Now that we uh, cover ourselves, don't spend as much time in the sun and use a lot of sunscreen, especially on our babies, babies aren't able to make their own vitamin D. So as you know, as a pediatrician, all breastfeeding mamas are supposed to supplement their baby with vitamin D from the start. And if you're plant-based, you'll continue doing that. And the reasoning behind that is that the main source of vitamin D in an omnivorous child's diet is cow's milk. However, cow's milk does not naturally contain vitamin D. Vitamin D is fortified in cow's milk. So whether you're giving your babe a vitamin D supplement or your child is drinking fortified cow's milk, either way, they're getting their vitamin D from, from fortification, from supplements. Uh, the other nutrient to uh, potentially supplement is iodine. Iodine is mainly found in the diet in iodized salt. The, the U.S. adds iodine to, to salt because it is, is typically low in the diet because the main dietary source is seafood um, or plants from plants from the ground can also take up iodine. But because of a variety of issues, including soil erosion, 
it's just not as reliable to get iodine that way. So we recommend that when babes stop consuming formula or stop consuming breast milk, that they're provided with an iodine supplement. And the last nutrient that uh, we we recommend supplementing or considering supplementing is is DHA. And DHA is a very long chain omega-3 fatty acid. Again, that's really important for baby's brain um, and retinal development. And we can actually generate, it's a a non-essential fatty acid, and that's because our bodies can make it from another fatty acid known as ALA. And ALA is found in the diet in plants such as chia seeds, hemp seeds, uh, walnuts, flax, but the problem is that we have a pretty low conversion rate. And because it is such an essential nutrient for brain development, especially in the first uh, two years of life and during pregnancy, it's recommended that plant-based mamas um, or anyone who's not consuming at least two servings of fatty DHA-rich fish a week takes a DHA supplement during pregnancy and during lactation. And then Alex and I further recommend that during the first two years of life, if it's within your budget, considering supplementing it for plant-based kids as well. Oh, this is so helpful. As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. My follow-up question would be, um, you know, obviously if you have a toddler child, at what age are we considering these supplements is number one? And then are they available commercially in formulations for children, like in terms of liquid form or whatnot? Yeah. Yeah. So that is uh, a complicating factor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's something that Alex and I spent a ton of time researching. One of those things where we were like, again, in the DMs, what are you doing about this? I can't find this thing. Yeah. Um, so we actually compiled a whole, uh, I think it's like five page or maybe it's 10 pages, a, sup- a free supplement guide. So you can get that on awesome. our, web- our website as well. And it goes through each of the nutrients with the recommended amount. Um, but to answer your question, you typically want to start supplementing 
supplementing your child once they are no longer consuming an appreciable amount of breast milk or once they're done with formula. Formula covers all of the nutrient needs for babes because it is already fortified with all of these things. Breast milk uh, covers the majority of them if the mom is properly supplementing. So if mama Mm -hmm. is taking her B12 and her iodine and her DHA, that will be given to baby through the breast milk. Um, The vitamin D, as I said before, however, is, is not going to be in a high amount in breast milk. So baby should be directly supplemented with that. We usually recommend when, when breast milk feeds drop below, uh, um, two or three times a day, then usually past the age of one, that's when you would want to start giving your baby their own supplements. Oh, this is so helpful. And I'll attach that supplement guide um, or the link to your website, at least on my show notes, because I think that'll be very helpful. Um, and it really comes down to obviously understanding, would it be correct that where your child may be lacking, right? So just say your mm-hmm. child is eating a calcium rich um, diet of food, mm-hmm. they may not need to add the calcium carbonate, correct? So it, it really Absolutely. is it really is detailed on what's going on with the child. Yeah. So like when we're talking about a plant-based diet, there are some things that are universal, like whatever plant-based eating pattern you're following, we still mm-hmm. recommend B12 because there yeah. is some research showing that even vegetarians and flexitarians have suboptimal levels and it is such a critical nutrient. So that's one that we're like, everyone should take. But if we're talking about things like vitamin D and iodine and calcium, if you're on a vegetarian diet and your child's consuming um, cow's milk or dairy a few times a day, they're likely going to be getting those nutrients from the dairy. So then they wouldn't need to supplement those things. So it's it. there are some aspects that need to be individualized. And because of that, actually, in our book, we included, it's kind of like a create your own adventure supplement handout that you can rip out of the book. And we've got blank spots where you can fill in the blanks on um, your child's unique needs. So you can take that with you to the grocery store and figure out which supplements you need at which age for your child's individual needs. This is so great. I know my last question for you has to do with what you had said earlier about um, 90% of your diet is plant-based. And, you know, for our family, it's about, I would say 70 to 80%. You know, you can still do and be a part of a plant-based nutrition, even if you're not fully vegan or fully plant-based. It's just important, like we said, for the environment, it's important to know also for our health that yes, plant things that grow on the earth are very good for our digestive system. And we know that. So my question to you is just in general, what are your tips for families who are struggling with wanting to raise their kid to be a veggie lover? What are some (laughs) basic tips that you would say to get your children used to these foods, you know, lentils and and veggies? Mm -hmm. And and yes, I see it a lot. Like the American diet, we have uh, chicken nuggets and fish sticks, which are not bad, but we need to balance it with other foods that grow on the earth if you're going to be doing that, right? So how can we create that for our children? Yeah. Well, first of all, I just want to say you're not alone. (laughs) If your kid doesn't like veggies, you are in the majority. (laughs) Picky eating kicks in around age two or so and can last even up until age six. So good nutrition is, is a long game. Um, The first thing you can do if you are starting with a baby is introducing these foods early and often. So research shows that kids become more adventurous eaters when they're regularly exposed to these foods. And it can take up to 15 exposures before a baby may even try something. Um, I know, for instance, with other vegetables, Alex and I have been working on uh, certain vegetables for the past three years with our kids, you know, so you have to kind of... uh, Stay consistent because what often happens a lot is parents serve a food, their child rejects it, 
And the parent says, I'm not going to serve that again. What's the point in putting this on their plate for them just to turn their nose and not eat it? It's a waste of my time and it's a, it's a food waste too. But what happens is it becomes a vicious cycle. So you don't serve the food, then your child doesn't get exposed to it. Then the next time they see it, farther down the road, it, it's even more foreign and they're even less likely to eat it. And it just repeats in a circle and the child's preferences can get smaller and smaller. So Alex and I talk a lot about exposure without pressure. So even if you know that your child isn't going to eat these foods, continuing to offer them on the plate in a non-forceful uh, way. So we subscribe to a, a model called the division of responsibility. And that really dictates what a parent's role is and what a child's role is when it comes to feeding. It's a parent's role to provide nutritious options um, and to determine when and where they will be served. It's the child's role to decide if they're going to eat and how much. So even though we know that our child may not like broccoli, if you're serving broccoli to the rest of the family, then the broccoli ends up on the child's plate. The thing is, we're not pressuring them to eat it. We're just putting it there so that they can have that exposure so that somewhere along the line, they will choose to eat it themselves. And exposure can mean so many different things. It's not necessarily just eating the food. It's seeing the food. It's feeling the food. It's smelling the food. It's it's realizing that this is a, a part of the family's diet and that they have the control to decide if they want to eat it or not. And so these same principles, whether they're being applied to a six-month-old or maybe to an older child who's transitioning to a more plant-based diet, no matter which where you are uh, along this timeline, the same principles will apply in providing the exposure without the pressure. Modeling good behavior is always is always really important too. Kids learn a lot about eating, but about all habits just from watching what their parents do. So if you want your kids to be veggie lovers, you should be eating those same foods um, right alongside them. These are such great tips and so important. I think we have such fear surrounding the foods that are important for our children and great for them. Um, but you're right. All of these tips do make so much sense and we can create these veggie lovers. We can create children who love plant-based foods and with that exposure and with how we react um, to those meal times. Yeah. And we have a whole chapter on cookies. Awesome eating in the book because you know it's 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 not enough to tell you what you should eat or what you should get your kids to eat because getting your kids to eat something just doesn't even work honestly as i'm as i'm saying um it's another thing to teach you behavioral strategies to encourage positive eating so um we really try to address all of these issues and tell me a little bit more about your book. So people are, who buy it will be able to find out um, picky eating, but also um, recipes, yeah. supplements, nutrition, like nutrition. What is kind of the, um, yeah. the summary of what they'll find? So it's, it's basically a comprehensive guide to everything you need to know for feeding from birth until about three years of age. It starts off with a chapter on in-depth nutrition information. So we cover all of the different nutrients and uh, what you need to know about them, where they're found, and whether or not you need to supplement them. The second chapter is about meal planning and prep. So it basically takes the, the nutrition information from the first chapter and shows you how to apply that on the plate. Uh, chapter three, four, and uh, three, four, and five, yeah, are, are dedicated 
specifically to age groups. So the, the first one is for zero to six months. We talk about postpartum nutrition for mama um, because what you're eating is so important as well. And we talk about breast and bottle feeding. Then we talk about in the next chapter, introducing solids, whether that be through baby led weaning or through a more traditional approach. Then the next chapter is targeted towards that toddler age um, when you're going to start introducing a milk. So we go way in depth into the differences between cow's milk and plant-based milk alternatives. So if you wanted to learn more about what we were just talking about today, that chapter will have that along with uh, picky eating and and different uh, parenting approaches, how your behavior can affect your child's eating. And then the last chapter really dives into kind of looking forward to the future. So we talk about structure versus restriction when introducing sweets and treats to older kids. And we talk about considerations for plant-based families, whether that be um, talking with your daycare or figuring out a daycare that's going to be open to your plant-based eating pattern, traveling with kids, snacking, Um, And then we've got 50 family-friendly recipes as well that can be adapted for all ages. This is so great. I'm going to attach links for your book and also any other resources as well as your um, Instagram handle. But what would be your final message to everyone listening today? I think it would be to go easy on yourself. Um, I think Alex and I are both in a little bit of a picky eating phase with our sons. And uh, when we're not myth busting, we're talking to parents who are who are struggling with getting their kids to eat the foods that they want them to eat. And, and we just want to re- reiterate, you know, look, nutrition is a long game. And as long as you're doing your part, you've got to leave it up to your kid to do their part. Um, we're all just doing our best out there. So hang in there, hang in there, parents. You're not alone. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much, Whitney. This was so helpful. I can't thank you enough for all the information you're putting out there on your social media and taking the time today to come on this podcast to talk to me. And again, everyone, I'll be be attaching all of this information on my show notes. Um, And you can follow her and Alex at Plant Based Juniors on Instagram. And definitely check out their book, The Plant Based Baby and Toddler. Um, And thanks again for joining us, Whitney. Thanks, Anna. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review, share this episode with a friend, share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at Pete's Doc Talk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Pete's Doc Talk TV. We'll talk to you soon. You made it halfway through an episode, so you must be loving the show. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel where I share answers to all of the common topics submitted to me regarding child health, development, and debunking all that misinformation you hear online. My goal is for PDT to be a one-stop shop for your searching needs. Bye-bye late night Googling. So make sure to go to YouTube and search Peds Doc Talk TV. Hit that subscribe button and binge watch all the amazing episodes and episodes to come. Have suggestions for future videos? Make sure to chat in the community section on my YouTube channel.